All right, awesome. Hello everyone, Latinos in Clinical Research. We're here today uh, with a very special guest interview and we wanted to invite all of you to be part of it. So we have um, Gus Roman uh, with us today. He was born and raised in New Jersey. He's the son of Colombian immigrant parents. And while growing up, he served as an EMT and that sparked his passion uh, to be in healthcare and clinical research. After pursuing his BSE in chemical engineering, um, he went to the University of Pennsylvania and he spent four years in the life science space doing a lot of consulting work and projects um, spanning from business development, market access, commercial strategy across diverse indications, geographies and healthcare stakeholders. During that time, he also served as chief of staff um, for Pierre Gooding and um, basically it was one gentleman that was running for Harlem City Council and he was able to fulfill his growing passion for equality and policy. I mean, you name it, Gus has a lot of experience. Um, it, just from the educational uh, pursuit, he has a dual degree, a MBA and a MPH, a Masters of Public Health from Yale University. And um, he also was part of the Yale Healthcare Conference and was a co-chair and spent his free time diving into the world of venture, capital, and entrepreneurship. I know that's something Dan will probably want to pick your brain on. He does a lot of uh, chats about that. Um, but then after Yale, August continued his part-time uh, venture fellow role at Global Founders Capital um, and basically on their seed and series uh, A Digital Health, health Team, um, while also consulting part-time for a variety of digital health founders. So um, Gus does not stay in his seat. He's a very busy man um, and has continued to do many things in uh, relation to virtual clinical trials, digital biomarkers, digital uh, muscular skeletal care. Um, and currently he is the chief of staff of AI Therapeutics um, where he basically juggles a variety of activities uh, for anything from fundraising, business development, partnership strategy, uh, budgeting, forecasting, hiring, project management. And what I liked the best of this profile was building a culture. So today, um, if you guys want to welcome Mr. Gus Roman to Latinos in Clinical Research, and we have a lot to discuss. So thanks, Gus, for being here. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. I mean, what a diverse... Yeah. It's super that was amazing. a mouthful, right? Yeah. <laughs> always, awesome. always just a long time on intro call. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's really great. And um, I mean, I don't know if, if Dan's thinking it and Monica, but I mean, perfect example of how um, you can start from a very specialized field and then kind of become a generalist that oversees and manages, right? Um, that's pretty amazing what you're doing. Uh, I thought that we did a lot, but no, you do, you do a whole lot for sure. Um, so, I mean, if you can give us a little insight, how did you, you know, obviously initially MT to now, I mean, what ended up focusing you into digital? I mean, your AI therapeutics and all of that, that's a huge transition. And I'm really curious. Yeah, I mean, I think the digital transformation and healthcare is like finally here, as you can see by the increased amount of like VC funding that's gone over and over the past few years. I mean, what I like, particularly like interesting about like digital health is I think like it's very much like a market shaping movement right now. Um, there's all these like new like companies and industries that are arising. Like for example, I was doing some research on 
um, APIs this weekend. Um, and, you know, it's just like a front door in order to have like a digital a digital door of sell, sorts to have like stakeholders communicate to like other stakeholders. Um, the most popular one, which is like Stripe, which is in like the financial industry. Um, but now there's all these companies in the healthcare industry that are building similar solutions. Um, Ribbon Health is a popular one I was doing, doing research on, for example. And um, yeah, I think it's just a great opportunity to really um, market shape it. It's also, healthcare is also unique with all the different like regulatory like guidelines um, that like often influence business models, headwinds and tailwinds and different opportunities. And I think, um, you know, very recently there's been a lot of um, the patient data and like sharing and also um, questions about interoperability where there's new regulations released every year. So um, it allows you, it's like, in order to be successful in this field, it's something where you have to like continually like learn and keep up to date and make sure to attend these different conferences and these different outlets and making sure that, you know, you're plugging into different people and um, leaders in the industry. So um, that's a big reason why I have like so many of the opportunities I do right now is a lot, there's just a lot of cross-pollination that can occur in this space. Um, so knowing like a conversation I have of someone, like I typically have like a venture hat I can wear, like a consultant hat I can wear, or, you know, just be a friend and be a connector, um, which that hat I always wear. Um, so yeah, it's just fun being involved in all these things. And yeah, it's just it's definitely like an innovative, in, innovative place to be right now. Gus, are you still in like a venture capacity? Like, do you still have any activities from like a venture capital aspect? Um, yes and no. Um, so I am officially, so as for GFC, I officially, um, I, I'm still in contact with them and, um, and talk to them from time to time, but I don't have like an official like role on that team. Um, I still say yes, because I'm actually talking, um, I've been chatting with uh, a new mentor of mine who um, was ex-VP innovation at a major, a major payer industry, a major payer company. And she's actually considering uh, starting her own VC firm, really exploring different ways of doing that, maybe doing like one-time investments versus doing more traditional VC funds. Um, but so we're not actively deploying capital, um, but we are brainstorming about like potential business models and how this, the execution this would look like. Um, and then I also do keep in touch with a lot of my, my VC friends still. So if I see like a deal that I think is interesting, like I have um, people I can like reach out to. Um, so I'm definitely still involved in this space, uh, just not like in an official Awesome. Now, what's, what do you think the biggest growth area is uh, in biotech space? I mean, I know you're in the AI, AI therapeutics, but what, like, as far as maybe therapeutic indications that, that you've seen, what do you think is like where a lot of the investment is going or, or where do you see the biggest need uh, being out, outside of data and AI? Yeah, so um, my company, AI Therapeutics, is focused on like rare diseases. Um, and I think there's always going to be um, money need in that space. And also mm -hmm. there's a lot of other like digital health players like, uh, like All Stripe Citizen and Picnic Health, um, which are also revolutionizing the space because a lot of this data exists in all these different silos and like the stakeholders who are making it their day job to um, collect that data on behalf of the patient and to bring value there. Um, 
in addition to like orphan diseases, like oncology has always been an area where there's a lot of innovation. Um, I think where the real excitement right now is, is more on like curative treatments, so, like gene therapies um, and these other like new modalities of care using like next generation like technologies. Um, I mean, I, vaccines is obviously an area of like hot debate right now because of COVID-19 and like I'm personally of the belief that will will probably be similar to the flu where every year you might need to get a new vaccine for like the new strain that that is out there that year. Um, I don't necessarily have faith that we're going to be able to get reach herd immunity in the U.S., especially with how heterogeneous our population is. Yeah. Um, and I think the other hot area too is the area I work in is like AI driven uh, like biotech models, like recursion, the IPO is not worth at 5 billion is like popular player in our space. There's also like bird genomics. Um, but with all this new data out there, you would like logically think that you'd be able to better like design drugs that, you know, hit these targets and effectively. Um, and like, so I guess like one of the answers to your question, it's not necessarily like the indication. I don't think specific indications are hard or not. It's like, I think these like new approaches either from a more like biotech, like genetic approach or, um, you know, yeah. AI-driven computational methods. More of the long tail, the long tail. I, I've been telling people on my channel and in Latinos in Clinical Research, if you guys sign up, make sure you go sign up on the website, latinosinclinicalresearch.com, in case you haven't, because way too few people are subscribed to that thing. You're missing out, uh, but that's another story. Uh, all the opportunities right now are in the long tail, and we're mm -hmm. able, because of data and AI and CRISPR and gene therapy and all this stuff, and the microbiome. I mean, I'm here monitoring for a microbiome company right now. I mean, small is the new big. So you you uh, started out as an intern with one of the big pharma, and now you've worked your way into the long tail. Where do you see the next decade of uh, biotech? Is it pretty much just what you said? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's going to continually be advancements to all these different areas. Um, like when, you know, for example, like AI driven, like drug development, like there's a lot of different like approaches you can take there. Like what my company does right now is we take uh, drugs that have already shown clinical safety and match them against new indications using our artificial intelligence and um, pushing them forward in a different indication. I think that's you know significantly a de-risk method of bringing these drugs to patients and also much faster. Um, my company is also building out the capabilities for like new clinical entity discovery. So that way we'll um, you know, own the asset from start to finish. Um, I think there's a lot of other companies out there that are focused on like developing new biologics. And I think as we better understand like um, genotypes and phenotypes of different patients, um, you know, that, that is an area that makes, makes sense to me. Um, you know, I, I think, I guess to answer your question a little more directly, I think like the trend towards personalized medicine is one we're going to see to continue to grow. Um, and also like the recognition that like a disease is more than, a, a, what we define as disease is often like a collection of diseases. It's just like, you know, take a phenotypic representation of like those like, symptoms the patient is expressing. And and we're seeing this right now in oncology where um, there's more and more like targeted therapies that are specific to a certain patient's like type. Like I, in fact, like hate how we call cancer cancer because people are always like, 
oh, why don't we have a cure for cancer yet? And the answer is because it's just not one disease. There's so many different types of cancers within those cancers, there's subtypes of that too. Um, so I think that's where really the, the trends are. It's like additionally like personalized medicine, as you said, like gene editing, CRISPR, um, targeted therapies, I also count, count as that too. Um, and yeah, and the, the new methods of discovering those drugs. And again, um, using like the biotechnology or the computational methods, but you'll see more areas where people will combine those methods. As well. Awesome. Um, I'm so sorry to interrupt you guys, but um, you're going out a little bit in your microphone. Um, but um, so I guess something that I think that our listeners would want to would want to know, and I know because I actually a few of them were my clients, uh, I know that they're interested in uh, AI biotech and, and all of that. So given your background, how you were in clinical, you were at EMT, how long would you say did it take you to from then to get to where you're at now? Um, from EMT to like working in biotech? Mm-hmm. Um, well, so I did like healthcare consulting out of undergraduate um, at a few mm-hmm. different firms. Um, and, you know, I think that for, for provides a very like flexible background in order for you to recruit to um, other positions. Mm-hmm. Um, I also did like an internship at Pfizer on the strategy and consulting team as well. So I think mm-hmm. those two experiences in particular um, really like allowed me to work in, in the biotech industry. I will also say- How, how um, did you get that internship? I mean, a lot of people are gonna be watching and they're gonna say, wow, you know, I wanna go <laughs> intern for Pfizer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how, how so practical did, is that for someone? So I did a structured like, internship as part of like my MBA program. Um, and I, I will have to say that Pfizer does a lot of its recruiting through like these more structured programs. See. Um, there are other ways of working in big pharma without doing this internship. Um, and I honestly, I, if you don't have that MBA or whatever degree, like honestly, you seem to network. Um, these organizations are like so huge and like applying through like the portal will get you like absolutely nowhere. But, like, yeah. you start a conversation um, with someone through a friend of a friend and have that lead on to more conversations. There's so many roles in pharma out there. Um, my stra- my role is very, very like MBA, like strategy and consulting. It was a lot of like internal strategic initiatives. Like I worked on an affordable affordability um, and access project for emerging markets, which um, really matched my areas and also um, matched my interest in public health. Um, but other people on my team worked on like oncology or I had one person working AI and biotech. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, you know, there's commercial marketing, finance. Networking is what, I mean, just like all the opportunities are in the long tail, all the networking opportunities are in the one-on-one mm-hmm. interactions. People want like magic to happen when they apply on the company website. And like you said, it's going to, basically get you nowhere same thing with spamming everyone's inbox on linkedin but when you (laughs) up a comment on gus's linkedin post and i just connected with gus right now everybody can do that we're gonna have gus's linkedin profile underneath this video gus you're gonna be hit up by a lot of people hey man i want to intern (laughs) all this kind of stuff so uh this is how you do it one-on-one guys just like Gus did I mean Gus did it through an MBA program but networking is going to get you there as well and that's kind of why I wanted to focus yeah yeah exactly and that's kind of why I wanted to 
focus on the time frame because you know um, you I mean for me I think you're, you you look very young for to be doing everything that you're doing uh, it's very inspiring and I think um, a lot of that definitely obviously has to do like you said your networking um, networking can get you to so many places right especially if you utilize the resources that are out there that are free or that are you know at arm's reach right if, so long as you're you're, you're doing what you can to get access to that and to the people that are involved. So um, thank you for, for mentioning that because I don't think a lot of people understand uh, how much networking and where, where it can actually take you in like a small time span. Um, so yeah, I, I mean- glad that girls, I, I am glad that girls mentioned that because usually it's us saying it and people sometimes say, oh, well, you guys keep on repeating it and you're from Latinos in clinical research. So- uh, now that somebody externally saying it, <laughs> it, it, it just sounds even more um, appealing, right? Yes. Uh, thank you for saying that uh, because definitely networking is the key in here. And that's why we invite people to participate also in our uh, webinars because they get the chance to network with a lot of uh, professionals from around the world, not just United States, but everywhere. Yes. Um, so, Gus, I, I wanted to, to ask how, as far as, you know, in the area that you're in, how would you say um, in regards to, I guess, you know, the Latino um, uh, our population, like, is there is there heavy diversity within the area that you're that you're working in the field? Um, I would say there's definitely room for improvement, but it's not like a homogeneous field. Mm -hmm. Um. I mean, we actually do have another Hispanic on my team. Let me give you some time for Carlo. Um, I think, so I think one of the things about biotech, which um, especially startup biotech, like the one I work on right now, is that like everyone is very, very degreed. So like my team has like a, like four PhDs, um, two MDs, uh, two MBAs, uh, we don't have anyone that's not an advanced degree on my team mm -hmm. and it, we're an eight person team. So it's very small. So I think the, the gap in diversity, like from my perspective might be more from um, the, the requirement that people need this like advanced degree. And yes. if you, you, know, you look at statistics of people who have advanced degrees, you know, there tend to be, you know, more like Caucasian people have been in the country for like certain generations. Of course. I, mean, I had to take, like an immense amount of debt for graduate school. And I completely think it was worth it. Um, but, you know, I definitely understand why other people like would feel uncomfortable making that same decision. <laughs> yes, so no, for um, sure. definitely room for improvement, but um, it, it is something we, we do focus on our company. We do make efforts to have more d diversity and inclusion type of hires. It's just difficult when the pool is so small. No, for sure, for sure. So definitely, if there are this, those uh, individuals who obviously don't have like the ability or the capability to get those that extra teaching, I mean, just getting more certified, becoming well, I guess, well diverse with you know more specifics is super helpful. So um, thank you for for letting us know that. Um, I did want to ask, you know, as far as where you're currently at. Um, how is, how is it integrating with, with clinical research right now and like the future of clinical research for AI therapeutics? Um, so 
I mean, we're, so we have like two ongoing clinical trials, one in the COVID-19 space and one in um, the ALS space, like Lou Gehrig's disease. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's more of the traditional, like uh, for the COVID-19 trial, we're using Yale as a CRO and for um, ALS trial, we're using like one of the the major players. So um, it's definitely more of a traditional, like clinical research model. Um, We have chatted, I mean, we, we have worked with like other innovative players in like the clinical trial space. Like for example, we did um, some work with Clara Health, which is like a patient recruitment platform because um, they like saw the pain point of like getting a patient to a clinical trial, whether that's logistically or like physically, like the, the extra back and forth of consent. Um, we saw that being a pain point. So we like use those services. Um, I'm using, we actually partnered with a new digital health player um, who they just raised a $3 million series A from, from Bain um, called Exilius. And we're also helping them out. Um, they're building out like a financial, um, like CRO relationship, like management type of solution. Also will help with like accruals and um, other pain points within like the clinical trial, like value chain. Um, so I think that is, um, it, it's more of like those other pieces of the value chain that aren't done most effectively by the traditional CRM model that we're trying to improve upon. Um, we have explored the idea of doing like virtual clinical trials. Um, and like, I know not this year, but next year we're planning on starting um, clinical trials in like orphan diseases. And they, you know, these are diseases of less than 200K patients in the, in the US. And like, it could be interesting, like using a virtual trial model there, if we're not able to, you know, have sites like nationwide, there's a way to like do clinical trials in like, the comfort of like a patient's own home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that could be a really interesting area too. And I think the virtual trial space is another area that's like extremely interesting. You're seeing companies like Medible and this new company Torrance just raised like monster rounds. And it makes a lot of sense, right? It's like, I think the clinical trials model is about a bit outdated. Um, a lot of these assessments, like you can do in the home already, you just need like validating measures. And um, a lot of it's also like regulatory, like slowness to adopt these. new models. So I think there's like definitely an opportunity to, you know, lower the cost of clinical trials and also ensure that these drugs reach patients like a much more like effective speed. Cause a lot of the delays that happen are like not due to patients or drugs, it's just due to um, outdated processes or like meetings with people. Things up, make things more efficient. Yeah, I, I agree. And um, for me personally, I I, um, I really think that, and that's again why I was super interested in getting you on here to interview you. Um, I I personally am a huge believer that data and just AI in general is going to really have a huge impact on how we move forward in this industry and really advance us. Because I, I do see, I mean, coming from uh, a global CRO, I do kind of see how there can be a lot of, um, get I guess to say not boundaries, but, you know, um, barriers that kind of get in the way due to the processes and stuff like that. So I look forward to seeing that, you know, improvement as time passes. Um, but I don't know, Monica, did you have any questions? No, I think he explained it all. <laughs> yeah. 
It's super, super great. Honestly, it's, it's uh, thank you so much for coming on, Gus, and to speaking with us. Um, I would love, of course, for you to possibly come on and speak to uh, one of our monthly webinars where we're live with people from all over the world throughout US, uh, the U.S. and more specifically South America, um, CRO, uh, site owners, CRO owners, all of that, um, just because I do think that what you're doing right now is definitely on the precipice of with the new the trend of what's happening and what's, you know, where, where science and technology is taking us. And I think everybody needs to become knowledgeable of where it's going and, and the possibilities, right? And be open to um, how we can improve our industry. But um, thank you so, so much. And thank you so much, Cassandra, for interview, uh, inter, uh, thank you. Yes, for, for uh, letting us know about Gus and, and everything that he's doing. And we look forward to speaking with you again in the future, Gus, if you don't mind. Yeah, definitely. Always happy to be helpful. No, it's I'm awesome. Sorry. And before we go, I think it'd be awesome for you to share with everyone that's watching uh, why you decided to be, you know, get involved with Latinos in clinical research and why you think it's important to share yes, Latino in the space. Yeah, I mean, I just want to give back. I mean, as a Latino growing up in America, um, I and something I realized during my undergraduate experience is that um, I just like didn't know what was out there. Like in high school, I think when you're like into like science and math, which I was like, it was like, oh, like I must be like a doctor or like a researcher. And I didn't know what the clinical trials industry was. Like I didn't know what, like I knew what pharma was, but like I didn't know there was like other jobs out there. So um, it's an opportunity to like, you know, help educate and inform people who may not have you know, parents that grew up here and like worked here and like have like guidance counselors that like um, are able to like one-on-one -on -one help out particular students and yeah. Um, mainly it, like always love to give back to the different communities that you know, supported me as I was growing up, part of the virtuous and, cycle. No, that's awesome. And what would be one tip that you would give someone, either someone that's starting new in the industry or someone that is in high school or college seeing this? Um, do you have any, any tips or any tricks that you would say, hey, this is one thing I wish someone would have told me going through school? Um, I think nowadays especially in the COVID era like you should not apply to any job without talking to someone at that company no matter how big or small the company is um I know during like undergrad I applied to like over 100 jobs and then like one and like that's just like straight applying um I think it's almost necessary nowadays so um yeah always make a connection like in business school I applied to like less than 20 jobs and got like a few of them that was a lot easier and I guess like, even for the younger students I think most people are like very happy to talk about what they're passionate about. So I don't, I think you should like not be afraid to reach out. Like I've had many successful like code outreach or networking where like, especially like, you know, scientists or most business professionals in general, like they're more than happy to talk about, you know, what makes them passionate about their day to day. Um, and like, as long as you frame it that way and you know, don't always go into a conversation like an intent the job or a company like I think people much appreciate just reaching out in order to like learn about them and what they're working on and um another recommendation I have too is like at the end of any networking call like you should always ask like oh like how can I be helpful because a lot of times like people just need help on random things and like they you know aren't upfront about it and that's how I got like most of like my part-time like side hustles like I just asked people if I could be helpful at all um oftentimes I was interested in it and um you know, a lot of the times I've started out doing the work for free as well. 
And that just like opened up a lot more opportunities down the line that, you know, I wouldn't have known like going into the conversation and I, you know, fully didn't have expectations about it. Um, just trying to be helpful and be like a good colleague and friend. And Awesome. Yeah, I agree 100%. Yeah, I agree 100% with that. You gotta, uh, we're so busy sometimes when we're wanting something so bad, we're trying to take all the time, right? And it's more about giving. And because ultimately, if you give well enough, right, uh, it'll come back to you tenfold. At least that's what I believe. Um, so sure. thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for that. Um, thanks, Cassandra. I totally forgot to ask. <laughs> um, but awesome. Thank you so much, guys. We really appreciate it. Was there anything else that you, that you guys wanted to ask before we end this conversation? Good. Just want to say thank you. Thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank yes, you. most definitely. We'll be in contact for sure. Thank you so much. No, I'm happy to chat. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Yes. Adios. 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 Okay, so we can cut the three Colombians. Three, three Colombians in this. I know. Oh, so what is gonna happen? What is gonna happen? So we can, uh, we can like stop the recording, and then you know, if you're able to, guys, if you could send that to us, um, and then Dan.